Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 12. This is what God's Word says to us today. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Let's pray for our time in God's Word this morning. Father, we thank you for the privilege of another Lord's Day where we can gather and we can look to your Word. And we thank you for this weekend, Lord, where we remember those who have sacrificed greatly in their service to our nation, those who are currently serving. Lord, we are thankful this morning that you and your sovereignty have placed us in this room in a, in a country that is free and we enjoy these freedoms because of the sacrifices of others. And we are thankful for that today and thankful for them. Lord, we're also mindful that oftentimes as many freedoms as we might have, we are prone to take advantage of those freedoms. While many of us have the freedom to worship you, so many don't worship you. While we have the freedom to go and share the gospel throughout our nation, so oftentimes we don't go and share the gospel throughout our nation. Father, we pray this morning that you would do a work in our hearts that not only will we celebrate and thank you for these freedoms, but Father, that we would take advantage of the freedoms we have. And Lord, we pray as we look to your word today, as we look to a very critical passage in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, that you would teach us from it, that you'd help us to apply it. And Father, I pray if there's any here this morning who is yet to respond to the free offer of the gospel, who's yet to respond to the grace that Christ offered on the cross, Father, that your Holy Spirit would work and would call them to repentance and faith, and that today would be the day of salvation for them and perhaps for their entire household, Lord. We pray for these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we continue in Matthew 21, as I mentioned, this is a a very significant shift in the Gospels. If you were to look at all four Gospel accounts, you would find about 89 chapters of the four Gospels dedicated to the last week in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a significant portion of the Scripture. And that portion began in the verses we looked at last Lord's Day. And it'll continue through the end of Matthew 28. As I mentioned last week, it'll take us the remainder of this calendar year just to look at this one week and what a significant week it is in the life of Jesus We looked, for example, last week at the triumphal entry, at Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem and the significance of that, and the proclamation of him as king, and yet he was not the king that so many wanted. So the same people who sang Hosanna, Hosanna to the coming king are the ones who, by the end of the week, will be saying crucify him. We find this next encounter, though, on the heels of the triumphal entry, 
of Jesus going in to cleanse the temple. And so as we look at this today, I want us to look at it in the frame of reference of the mission of the church. What is it that the church is called to do? Who is it that the church is called to be? Are we doing what it is God's called us to do? Or have we, like those we see in the temple account this morning in this passage, veered away from what it is God's called us to do? And if that is the case, then what is needed to restore us, to bring us back on task to what God would have us do? So that's what we're going to look at today. And as we do, the first point that I'll put you in your notes is this. The mission of the church is lost when it becomes man-centered. The mission of the church is lost when it becomes man-centered. Now you see there in those first two verses the narrative of what's taking place. Uh, Jesus here is entering into the temple. Uh, this is an encounter that is throughout the Gospels. In fact, uh, different commentators debate on whether or not Jesus went in and cleansed the temple once or twice because we see it at the beginning of John, later on in the other Gospel accounts. Uh, I think when you look at those different references, you would, you would put them together and see that it's likely that there's two cleansings of the temple. Uh, it's interesting because one took place likely at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. The other one takes place at the end of his earthly ministry. And you, you think about that, they're kind of bookends on the ministry of Jesus. It shows the significance of what's taking place. Uh, it shows the importance of what the temple was supposed to be and the neg- negligence that took place and what it ended up being. It shows that, that God intended it for, to be one thing, and yet it became something radically different. And that is what we face today in the church. Oftentimes what God has called the church to be is very different than what the church is. And so I think this is very applicable for us. So Jesus goes into the temple, probably spaced out two or three years after the first cleansing of the temple, And it says he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Now now what exactly is taking place here? Well, to kind of give you a picture, you need to think first of all of where it is Jesus is. Uh, If you have a, a little map section in the back of your Bible, you probably have an outline of what Jerusalem looked like, including a little sketch of the the temple. Uh, The temple was not just one building called the temple. The temple began with the temple walls, and out inside of those walls were different concentric courts. Uh, The whole area was called the Court of the Gentiles. And and that's where the events that we're reading about took place. Uh, That's where animals were purchased for sacrifice. That's where money was changed for the temple tax. That's where the, the commerce took place. And then, inside of that court, there was uh, the the holy place. There was the temple. This is where the activity of the priests took place. This is where the sacrifices took place. And then, inside the holy place, there was the most holy place. That was the holy of holies. This is where the high priest would enter into once a year on the Day of Atonement to offer a sacrifice on behalf of God's people. And so the events we're reading about here, these take place in the court of the Gentiles. These take place inside those temple walls where it says that Jesus goes in and obviously he is enraged. He is enraged over two different groups of people that this text tells us about. Uh, First of all, it tells us that he goes in and he sees the tables of the money changers and he turns those over. You may remember uh, from a little while back when we were going through Matthew's gospel, 
uh, the section where uh, they came to Peter and they asked if, if Jesus paid the temple tax. We talked about that, what the temple tax was. This was a tax that every Jewish male would pay on an annual basis. Well, this was a tax that could be paid in surrounding regions, except as it drew closer to the Passover, which is what's taking place here, that's the timing here, the temple tax, if you hadn't paid it up to that time of Passover, you had to pay it at the temple. And here was the thing about the temple tax. You could only pay the temple tax with a certain currency. You had to use a half shekel coin. Or excuse me, you had to pay a half shekel. Where there was no half shekel coin, so you had to get someone to go with you often to pay the temple tax with one shekel. Half for that person, half for you. But here's what complicated things even further. People didn't use shekels for their common currency. On top of that, you had people coming from all the areas surrounding Jerusalem, some from great distances, some with different national currencies. So they're all journeying in, they're all coming in. And when I say all, it's a lot of people. Uh, It's far greater than most of us typically tend to think of when we think of this scenario. Uh, In fact, uh, Josephus, a Jewish historian, said that at one Passover during the, the, the time of Jesus, that there were as many as a quarter of a million lambs brought into Jerusalem. Now, there would be a lamb offered up for each family. So you can imagine how many people that is. There there are literally millions of people coming in to Jerusalem. And so at any given point, there are thousands, tens of thousands, trying to go into the temple. And one of the things that's taking place is they need to pay the temple tax, but they don't have the currency to pay the temple tax, so they've got to go change money. Well, that in and of itself isn't a bad thing, but what tended to happen was because people's hearts were wicked, they started to take advantage of that. And so in order to change your national currency into a shekel, uh, they would charge you a fee. And then if you wanted change back, they'd charge you a fee. And oftentimes those fees were inflated. And so on one hand, you had those who were profiting off of this idea of a temple tax. Then you had a whole other group of people. The text tells us Jesus goes in, and in addition to overturning the tables of the money changers, it says he turns over the seats of those who sold pigeons. See, there were another group of people inside those temple walls in the court of the Gentiles who would sell animals to be sacrificed. Now, there was nothing in the Scripture that prohibited a Jewish family from raising their own sacrificial animals. In fact, you see them doing that. But the Scripture did stipulate that in order to make a sacrifice, it had to be the best. It had to be unblemished. And so there had to be some standard of measurement to determine, well, is this sacrifice blemished or is this sacrifice unblemished? Well, there again came room for some corruption. You see, the priests were the ones responsible to determine whether or not a sacrifice was acceptable or not. And sometimes, in fact, it would seem many times based on how Jesus reacts here, the priests would take advantage of things. People would come in with what they felt was an unblemished sacrifice, and the priests would say, oh, no. No, that's not nearly good enough to offer up to a holy God. You need to purchase one of our animals to be sacrificed. The thing about that was they were steeply inflated in cost. In fact, historians say that inside the temple walls, the same pair of pigeons cost you about 50 times more than outside of the temple walls. 
So on one hand, you had people taking advantage of the currency and exchange rates to pay a temple tax. On the other end, you had people taking advantage of the whole sacrificial system, inflating the cost of animals, demanding that their animals be purchased in order to make a right sacrifice. And so you can imagine the anger. You can imagine the emotion of Jesus as he goes into the temple The temple that as you read the scripture, you realize back in the days of Solomon was built for what? It was built to worship God. It was built as a place where people could go and could commune with the Lord. Think about what we see about the temple throughout the scripture. It was a place where people would go and offer sacrifices. Why? Because that was all pointing towards an ultimate sacrifice that would be offered for them. Scripture tells us the blood of those lambs could not appease God for their sin. It was pointing towards the gospel. And so here you have something that's supposed to be a picture of the gospel, and yet it's not a picture of the gospel at all. It's a picture of the depravity of man. What we find in the text and what we find in our lives today is that just as much as the people in Jesus' day lost their mission because they became focused on their self, we too can go down that same slippery slope. You see, just because you're in the church this morning, it it doesn't mean that your heart is where it needs to be. Just because you come to church every week or you're a member of a church, it, it doesn't mean that you're here for the right reasons. In fact, that there's many that come for the wrong reasons. Uh, there's many who come thinking that, that this is some gonna, somehow going to undo something bad they did. Uh, that, that this is somehow going to appease God for their sin. Many people realize that, that they're not good enough to appease a holy God. But many people think falsely, well, if I just try harder, if I just do some good things, well, then my good will outweigh my bad. And just as much as the people in Jesus' day corrupted the notion of worshiping God by going to the temple, we have corrupted what it means to, to truly come and fellowship with God's people. We've gone down the same slippery slope, and we too get our priorities in the wrong place. And sadly, just like you see in Jesus' day, a lot of times we see that in the life of the church when it comes to the issue of money. Uh, You look here and you see people who were corrupt, people who were greedy, they were concerned about their own pockets, They, they weren't concerned about fulfilling the mission that God had put before them. In the same way, we can see that in the life of the church. I was talking to one pastor just this week in our area, and we were talking about church budgets and about how there's this tension. I mean, we, we, we need to invest money at times and resources in our facilities. There's legitimate needs there. We, this week, uh, had the parking lot paved. We had to give to do that extra. Many people volunteered time to do that to make sure it was overseen and done right, and, and we needed that. But there's this tension there when sometimes we we tend to focus more on the building and the needs of the building than we do on the Great Commission. Uh, We were talking about it, and he shared with me what one minister had said to him. He said, well, our church is going to focus on the Great Commission once the building's paid off. Now, you you hear that, and you may think of our budget and think, well, I'm glad we're not doing that. We're we're investing money in missions, and we're paying off our building. But it's so easy for that to become our mindset. It's so easy to think about, you know, we need to pay the debt off because God hates debt, the Scripture says he does, and to neglect the other things that the Scripture says. The uh, the Scripture says that God wants us to take the gospel to the nations. 
And we can't neglect that command in order to fulfill another command. We need to do both and we need to be obedient to God. Least we focus on ourselves and this whole thing becomes about us. So, so how do we correct that once we notice that's where it's going? Well, that's the next point I've put in your notes there. And it's this, that while the mission of the church is lost when it becomes man-centered, we see that it is restored through God-centered worship. Jesus comes in and he sees that the temple is not being used as it should be used. Uh, he, he looks, verse 13, it says, he tells them, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you made it a den of robbers. Uh, he's referring here to a passage from Isaiah and a passage from Jeremiah, both of which talk about what the temple was supposed to be. It was to be a place where people came into fellowship with God, a, a house of prayer. And yet what Jeremiah noted and what Jesus was noting in his day, and sadly what we can even see in our day, is that it become a den of robbers. It was a place where people were getting their own needs met. They were making financial gain for themselves and so Jesus rebukes them but then notice what he does he, he restores the temple to its intention and its purpose verse 14 says and the blind and the lame came to the to him in the temple and he healed them now something very very significant happens here because you see the blind and the lame and pretty much anybody with any disability was not allowed in the temple. Not because of what God had set forth, but because of what man set forth. You see, men during the days of Jesus, they felt that disability, they felt that blindness, uh, someone who was lame, someone who was disabled, uh, these were results of God not favoring that person. God was angry at them for something they had done or perhaps something they had not done. So he had brought this calamity in their lives. They pictured these people as being outside of the favor of God. And so they were not allowed to come inside the temple wall. So how did they get there then? Well, Jesus here in verse 14, something takes place. Uh, whether he has issued a proclamation and people have begun to come inside the temple walls, whether he has sent his disciples out to go gather those who previously were not allowed inside the temple walls, we don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus is doing something revolutionary. So much so that he then has children praising him and this makes the chief priests indignant. Why would that be? Well, just... Think about this for a moment. Try to put yourself in this scenario. You and your family are living during the days of Jesus, and it is time for Passover, and so you're taking a far journey to go to Jerusalem. See, unlike our day where you can pretty much get anywhere in the world within a day or two, unlike our day where many of you will get in your vehicles today or tomorrow and, and travel hundreds of miles away in the days of Jesus, you were going to walk if you were going anywhere for the most part. And, and for many pilgrims coming into Jerusalem, that walk took days, even weeks. And imagine that, that you are transporting your family. You're going on this pilgrimage. Why? Because it's Passover. You have a lamb you have been setting aside the, the, the entire year that you've been raising that's without blemish. Now you have treated that lamb very special. You, you've been careful to take very good 
meticulous care of it. Why? Because you know when you go to offer up that Passover lamb that the priests are going to demand the best of the best and your intention has been to provide that. And so not only do you have to figure out the logistics of transporting your whole family to Jerusalem, you've got this lamb to take care of and not just that, but there are literally tens of thousands of people traveling at the same time. And then you get to Jerusalem and imagine what chaos is there. You go inside the temple walls and there are people everywhere. And everybody's trying to do the same thing. Everybody's trying to change their money over here so they can pay their temple tax. And then they're trying to go over here to get their sacrifices inspected. And so you stand there and maybe you wait, not just that day, maybe you wait several days before you finally get up there to pay your temple tax. And then you realize that the amount of money you brought is barely going to be enough to get that shekel coin. You don't have someone else with you to, to split that with you. And so between the interest rates and the transaction fees, you scramble enough money, you get your, your temple tax ready, you pay your tax, then you go to take your lamb to get inspected by the priest. Again, you wait for what seems like forever, but while you're waiting, you're, you're excited. You're excited because you are are leading your family in worshiping the one true God. As you hear about people in pagan lands worshiping pagan gods, you're worshiping the one true God, and you're teaching your children, children, when we offer up this lamb, we are remembering God's protection and watch care over our people. We're remembering about how our people, when they were enslaved in Egypt, God set them free and how during that plague He passed over them. He protected them because of the blood of that lamb. And when we have this meal, that's what we're remembering. And you're thinking about that meal and you're thinking about what you're going to teach your kids, but as you get to the front of that line, that priest barely even looks at your lamb. He just says no. It's not good enough. There's no need in arguing. There's nothing to debate. He's passed his judgment. So now you have to go over to another line to purchase a temple sacrifice. And as you're getting closer to the front of that line and you start hearing about the prices they're charging for their unblemished lamb, you realize you don't have enough money to buy one. And you start thinking about the years... (laughs) You're raising this lamb. You start thinking about the weeks of traveling with your family. You start thinking about what you're trying to teach them. And all of a sudden, it's all falling apart in front of you. And then you hear some commotion. And you look over and you see somebody. And you hear people talking about him and you, you just hear commotion going on all of a sudden there's tables flying there's chairs flying and and you realize that this is this is the guy they say is the messiah this is jesus what is he doing i mean you've heard about the miraculous works of him but these this looks like the acts of a madman and yet then you hear him quoting the scripture and you you start to see something revolutionary is taking place and then you see something you never imagined you would ever see. You see, you, you have a child, several children, but one of those children uh, has been struck with a disease. You're not sure what to call it, but it's, it's disabled them. It's beginning to disfigure them. And they are laying outside of the walls of the temple because you know as you approach, there's no way they could go in. You know, just as the people in your area have looked at you, the people in this area are going to look at you and say, well, this is because of your sin, your child is this way. 
And all of a sudden you look and you see through the temple gate the disciples of Jesus carrying people in, and, and your child's one of them. And then you see Jesus go over, and you can't quite hear what he's saying, but you see him praying, and all of a sudden your child stands up and walks. And they appear to have nothing wrong with them at all. Friends, you can't tell me that wouldn't be the most amazing day in your life. And that's exactly what happens in our life when we come to a real understanding of the gospel. You see, nobody's asking you to take a journey with your family and to stand in lines and to change money and to to, to barter over the price of animals and to do all these things to have a meal to honor and appease God. And yet, we come up with our own list. And we think if I just do this and this and this and this, I'll appease a holy God. And in the same way, we need to understand none of that will appease a holy God. The only thing that will appease God is a perfect sacrifice and it's already been offered. And Jesus Christ is the one who offered it, the perfect lamb, when he went to the cross. And he died there for your sin and my sin you imagine the joy of that father seeing his son walk and, and seeing this whole sacrificial system seems to mean nothing now. He's just excited and he's coming to understand who Jesus is. Friends, that's the same joy we can have and do have when we come to understand who Jesus is. When we come to understand what the true mission of God is, that it's to worship God. As we go through Matthew, we'll, we'll come to this text, but... If you're using the scripture, you know that a number of people try to trick Jesus, and one of the things they ask him is, what's the greatest commandment? He says it's to love the Lord your God with with all your heart and your soul and your mind. He says that as believers, we're to go out and we're to treat our neighbors, ourselves. That's the mission of the church is to worship God. That's the mandate of believers to go out and, and to love our neighbor. That's it. Our mission is to worship God, and our mission is to help others worship Him. And that's why we take the gospel to the nations. Because as we sit this morning, there are literally about 3 billion people in the world with no access to the gospel. People, if you went up and asked them, who is Jesus Christ, they wouldn't know who Jesus is from who you are. People have had no exposure to the gospel. How are they going to worship God rightly? You see, there are many religions that are telling them, well, go stand in a line and go change your money and go buy this and do this, and maybe you'll earn a place in God's kingdom. But the gospel tells us no. The gospel is a free gift of God, and it's available for all nations. But in order for them to worship, we need to take the gospel to them. Pastor John Piper wrote a great book on missions a number of year ago, years ago. It talks about the supremacy of God in missions. And this is what he says over and over in that book. He says, missions exist where worship does not. We're to take the gospel to the world because there's people in the world who they can't worship God. And here's the sad reality. We've got the gospel throughout our nation and there's a lot of us who can't worship God either because we're trying to do it in our flesh. God demands a clean heart. And here's the thing, you can't go to any store and get a heart cleaning kit. The only way your heart's going to get clean is through the work of the gospel. 
So, so how do we get there? How do we move from this man-centered mission of works and, and of all these things we create and come up with and move towards this God-honoring, God-worshiping mission? Well, we do it the same way Jesus teaches us in this passage, and it's the last point I've put in your notes there. It's that a God-centered mission is grounded in God's Word. We do it by keep, taking people to God's Word. That the children are crying out, Hosanna! To the son of David, there, there's a lot there. You think about what had just taken place as they're coming, as Jesus is coming in, the triumphal entry. This is the same thing that the people are shouting to Jesus. It's, it's Psalm 118. It's one of the psalms that were read during feast, one of the prayers that were prayed by families. But it's not just the people saying it now. It's the children saying it. The children are shouting out, Hosanna to the son of David. That, that is miraculous in and of itself. If you've ever been with children around any type of spectacle, any type of excitement, you don't know what they're going to yell. Uh, and here they're praising God and they're quoting a psalm. Imagine that. You know, you're with your kids, there's some spectacle going on, and they just start reciting scripture. You know, that's miraculous that that's taking place. God is speaking through them, and Jesus notes that because what they are saying is. To, is, they're deifying Jesus. They are saying He is God by saying that. And this enrages the religious leaders. That's why they say, do you hear what these people are saying? They're, they're not saying, hey Jesus, listen up. We want to make sure you hear this. They're saying, you need to correct them. You're, you're not who they say you are. You, you, if you accept that praise, are saying that you're God and we will stone you now. That's where this goes in the Scripture. But notice what Jesus says to them. Jesus, think all the stuff He could have done. I mean, Jesus could have done like, and they're, I mean, He could have done anything here. He could have just raised His hand and they dropped, and He's done with them. He, he could have said, okay, let, let's talk about the fruit here. Let's talk about the fruit of your whole line, sacrifice, money-changing system. Let's talk about the fruit of that guy was blind, now he can see. That guy couldn't walk, now he could walk. You want to compare this? But he doesn't compare experiences. Jesus models for us what we are to do in gospel proclamation. He simply quotes the Scripture. And he quotes it to people who prided themselves on knowing it. And that's why he says rather sarcastically, well, have you ever read? You know, they're like, well, Jesus, can you hear? And he's, well, can you read? Look at, do you not know what it says? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Now, you go back to Psalm 8, and what you find in Psalm 8 is God's word is basically saying, listen, God demands praise. In your sin, you're not giving it to him. So he's going to make the babies praise him. Now again, this isn't what we expect from babies. You don't expect your infant to all of a sudden start singing during the time of worship. You're just glad they're not crying and hoping they fall asleep and thinking, well, once Brother Richard starts preaching, that'll put them to sleep because it puts everybody to sleep. You're, you're just hoping they don't start screaming. And God says, if you don't praise him, the babies will start singing. And he says, if the babies don't do it, the rocks will start singing. Why? Because he demands praise. And Jesus says, oh, have I heard? Well, can you read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And then he leaves. <laughs> 
I love that about Jesus. I love that Jesus doesn't model for us, okay, here's the most advanced, complicated argument you've got to memorize and figure out and prepare and, and, and say this to people who don't believe. He just says, listen, the temple, nothing like it should be. He walks in, turns over tables, starts healing people so that God will be praised. And when people question him about it, he shares with them what the scripture says and he walks out of the place. And that's what he calls us to do too. He calls us just simply to open this thing up. Friends, this is different than any book in the world. This is nothing like anything else anyone will ever read. And it defends itself. And there's a lost and dying world out there. And many of them left to themselves, they have no interest in reading it. And they don't know what it says. And God has called us, equipped us, the church, His people, to go out into that world, to open it up and say, let me tell you about the God who the babies praise. His name is Jesus. He died on the cross for your sin and mine because nothing you can ever do is going to be good enough to make up for your sin. And we've all sinned. And we all deserve hell for our sin. But Jesus in perfection died on the cross. He took God's wrath for us. And for us to come into right relationship with Him, Scripture says we need to become like a child, not through taking some ageless beauty pill. But He says in Matthew 18, just turn and become. Repent and believe. And friends, that is the good news of the gospel for all of us this morning. I don't expect that anybody came in here preparing to to take a journey to Jerusalem to offer up a Passover lamb. But you've got your own little list. The list that you think, well, if I just do this and do this and do this, then God's going to do this. And if I don't do this, then he's going to do this. So I better do this because if I don't do this, well, I remember last time and then he did that, you know. And it goes on and on and on. And friends, that's not the gospel. And that's not going to do you any more good than changing money and buying unblemished sacrifices. The good news is for you and I that we simply need to respond to the gospel the same way Jesus called people to respond to the gospel through repenting, through turning from our sin, being done with it, walking away from it. We will always struggle with it, but we don't want it as Lord of our life anymore and embracing the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you've never done that, my prayer for you today is that this would be the day of salvation for you. And perhaps you've done that, but like so many, like me, like others, you You've started making that list again. (laughs) I know the gospel's by grace, but man, I know if I don't do this today, God's not going to do this, or this bad thing's happening, so I must not. It's time to just throw that list in the garbage and to thank God for the free gift of the gospel and to go before him on your knees and simply say, Lord, in my sin, I try to create my own religion and my own God and my own way of doing things and my own way of thinking that you're going you're to do something for me if I do something for you and just repent of it, be done with it and thank God for his grace and his mercy and his kingdom that Jesus said it's coming. See, Jesus, sadly, the temple still needs to be cleansed and it'll need to be cleansed every day for the rest of our lives until a day. The day when Jesus says he's going to come and he's going to make all things new. And friends, there's no more temple cleansing after that because it's all as it should be. Between this day and that, our 
calling is to go and tell a lost world about this Christ we serve. If you would pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you no longer demand this list of duties we see, that you, you never demanded it in the way that man made it. You, you offered us a picture of the gospel and we distorted it. Father, you offer us the gospel today and we distort it too. And so I pray, God, for any here this morning, it's, it's such a simple thing. It's such a simple message. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. And yet, Lord, we've complicated it. And Lord, we've made this thing into something different than what it needs to look like. I just pray, God, for the simplicity of the gospel to pierce hearts today and every day in the life of our church, in the life of those who will interact with people from our church, in the life of those who will go to the far ends of the earth to share this gospel with others. Father, would you do that work in us? We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen.